You're now listening to Fundamental Fast Pitch. Hello, everyone. This is Jessica Tanner with Heather Maloney on the Fundamental Fast Pitch podcast. Um, I'm feeling very Mike-ish today because I slept fantastic and I have a ton of energy. So uh, he is irreplaceable. He's unfortunately working today. Um, But I'm going to do my best to carry his energy throughout this podcast. Um, And it helps that I am so very excited to talk about this um, because I think it's such an important conversation. Uh, We actually had one of our listeners write in and ask us to cover this, which makes me even more excited because that means that we are for sure going to be helping some people out today. But this is episode number 90, classifying select teams. Um, There are so many different things that we can say and discuss when it comes to team classification, but um, I'm actually going to start off. So uh, Heather, I'm going to take this kind of intro, if you will, but when someone asks, like, what class are you or what class are you playing or what class is your team? What does that mean uh, when someone asks that? And to put it simply, that basically means like what class of tournaments that you're playing. Um, it's not always necessarily by skill level. A lot of times it's by a point system on different sanctions and everybody does it a little bit differently, whether you're looking at playing USA softball or FASA or um, USFA, uh, ASA used to be really big back in the day, but they've actually kind of dissolved and merged underneath USA softball. So classifications are different depending on the sanction that you're playing, but essentially what they're trying to do is they're trying to put teams of a similar skill level into tournaments so that the competition level is is similar and kind of the same across the board that's the goal it does not always happen like that but that's the end goal would you agree with that heather yeah i think you're right and i think that the intentions uh when when whenever these sanctions kind of kick this system off was was those intentions were really good um unfortunately just doesn't play out that way you have too many teams that um, will either play up or play down and kind of their skill against their skill level that it, whether they're looking for rings or they're just looking to play every weekend and they're just signing up for whatever's available or, or what have you, whatever the reason might be like the, the, the breakdown of ABC just never really kind of panned out in a practical way where you're going to see similarly skilled teams eat weekend after weekend. So Although it seems like the the intentions were really really great and this the system and the structure at a glance it looks like a great idea it just doesn't really pan out that way in in practice very well so I mean I think you're totally right on what the what the meaning behind it was and and what the intentions were but um, you know it's not exactly what we see so let's let's just look at what we kind of see generally when we say A B C open class what what is it what is like that the framework supposed to be Yeah. So I'm going to start kind of with more of your like entry level teams, if you will. Um, The age doesn't really matter there. Um, Typically, a C-class team is going to be, um, again, your your newly formed teams. Um, Maybe they're straight out of Little League and they were an all-star team and now they want to continue on into playing select. Um, uh, Maybe they're a first year, let's say it's a a 10U team moving up to 12 you and they are not quite sure what that level of competition is going to look like um so they could be a first year team um so basically at the bottom of that age bracket so your c class is going to be 
more of your like developmental and like your learning level teams. Um, Heather, would you agree with that one? Yeah, I think it's where most teams just kind of go. With, it's like a starting point for most teams. They go and get their feet wet, um, you know, with the, a newly formed team and see where they kind of lie and where their weaknesses are and, and see, um, you know, how how much they need to improve and in which, which areas before they kind of move on to the next level. Yes, I, I would agree there. And so after that point, then that takes you into like your B teams, which we're just going to say that let's, let's get an average team. Um, maybe you've your past your first year or you've been together a little bit, but maybe you're just a little bit intimidated of jumping up to that like A class team. Um, that's kind of like a, a meet in the middle team. I will tell you guys, um, that's where most teams should be at least in my opinion, based off playing them and coaching and kind of where what I see. But um, there are not a lot, if, if any, hardly B-class tournaments out there where you can specifically go register for, like, to play against similar, like, B-class teams. Yeah, and that's really unfortunate because, like you're saying, I think that's where most teams lie most realistically. You're, everyone is kind of going to be under that sort of B um, umbrella. And if you know, if these systems really worked, then we would have B tournaments every weekend. But as you can see, they're just not available. Yeah. And that, yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And then your A class, um, that's going to be like your polished teams. So um, like kind of the sharp, the softball IQ is there. They've, they're either like super softball savvy or they've been together for a while maybe, or they've, they just, they like, again, they look polished. It's clean softball. They know the game. Um, you see a little bit more confidence there. If you were to see like an A team versus a C team, I think that's, uh, that's an easy kind of deter determination when I'm looking at teams warming up and, and on the field and stuff. But um, your A class teams, those are just like your, your probably your most competitive, like just put together teams. Uh, and then open. So when we talk about open class, um, those are tournaments that allow, basically allow your A, B and C class teams to all play together. So you, it doesn't matter what classification your team has you are allowed to enter like open tournaments um but just knowing and being prepared that you're going to run up against some a b or c class teams that's kind of just going to be like your mixture of teams and a lot of times at least where we're at here in texas um what you'll see is you'll see tournaments that maybe don't make in a certain division so let's say a tournament is like an open class version an open class division and a c class division here it's not uncommon for one of those divisions to not have enough teams to make and then them just to combine the two which to me like it kind of defeats the purpose of having classes anyways because then you're taking c teams open teams a teams putting everyone together um that signed up for like specific classes so that's that's a whole nother issue that we could probably get rolling on yeah, that's could probably be another topic for another day, but uh, definitely that's an issue. You know, and and one thing I just thought of is, that, you know, it, it, we lay out the A, B and C um, and then the open classes. But if you, that's that doesn't take into consideration that you've got a handful of different sanctions and some sanctions will, you know, put you in those brackets or those classes based on your winning percent or some other statistic. And then other sanctions will just sort of let you kind of self-declare um, so that 
that also plays into, uh, you know, how you're going to classify your team and how you're going to select tournaments, because you have to not only consider, you know, A, B or C or open, but okay, this is a C tournament in which, which sanction or an open tournament in which sanction, which can mean two very different things. So that's always another thing you have to keep in mind when you're signing up for tournaments and, and classifying your team within those different uh, sanctions. Yeah. And so I think it's, we haven't really spent much time, but you, you hinted on it. So it's important. You can select like the initial classification for your team, but after that, your classification changes per sanction based on like how many points you get, uh, depending on the number of tournaments that you enter with that sanction, it may change depending on your win loss percentage. Um, and then also like, um, compared against the, the win loss percentage of the teams that you have played, like there are a bunch of different things that go into determining your class that are, I, I mean, I say outside your control, like that's the whole reason that you have the sanctions and you have the tournament directors, because what they'll do is if you have a team that signs up, um, and they do their best to kind of police this, but obviously there's ways around it. But if you are an A-class team or a B-class team that signs up for a C-class tournament, um, a lot of times, like it's the tournament director's responsibility to check your classification within their records and be like, hey, you guys are a B-class team. You cannot play in the C-class tournament. Um, that does not always get done, but that's what's supposed to happen. Um, so... That's something to keep in mind, too. Um, you made a point, too, on different classifications and different um, sanction like systems and how they do things. You, it, It's not uncommon for one. Let's say you have an example of um, I'll, I'll use my team, for example. We played a lot of FASA last year um, because we were still in the learning phase. We are a developmental team. FASA is a very good sanction and or an organization for your more of your C class, your learning, your you're still getting the hang of things kind of sanction, if you will. Um, but we played a ton of FASA tournaments. We even ended up going to a FASA nationals. Well, they they use a combination of a point system for sometimes if they're using like a seated bracket, FASA will um, seed you based on how many point FASA points you have have and you get those based on how you place in their tournaments how many games you win there are certain point allocations for all of these different things um but you can go play a ton of fasa tournaments and get to where you're classified as like an a or a b fasa team but then let's say you sign up for a usfa tournament and you it's your very first usfa tournament and they don't have a like win loss history for you um, you're kind of new to their system, they might classify you as a C team based on how they do things. So you may be A class in one sanction and C class in another. And and that's where you see a lot of these discrepancies come in because you'll have teams that whether they do that on purpose or not, that's to be determined, but you'll have teams that will go play a lot of one sanction and then they'll go to another and they'll get to play like maybe they're a really competitive like really really good polished team playing in a c-class tournament that they probably shouldn't be playing in but that's how they kind of get by because of that classification system within FASA or usfa or, or whoever it is right i'm glad you touched on that because that was that was just running through my mind it's always a a a disappointing situation when you are one of those C teams that's struggling to kind of get over that hump and get to that A or open class. Um, and, and you, you know, if everything's going great and you're, you're, you seem like you're improving and, and you're 
building up some points in that whatever sanction you're playing and then you come up against a team who's shown to be you know bottom of the barrel doesn't seem to you know have many points or or what have you and then it turns out that they just don't have a history in that sanction they're actually this really you know awesome very polished team with lots of experience and then you just you just you don't get what you think you're getting when you sign up for that tournament so that can be very disappointing and very frustrating at the same time yeah and i mean especially if it's deflating right you run up against this team and you're like one where did you come from two like you can see an immediate like difference between what should be an A versus a T class team. You can see it in how they carry themselves, how they warm up, um, how they communicate, um, if they're focused, like you, you just, you can tell. Right. And so then you have parents and coaches that are like, like they know this and they're like, this isn't right. And that's, that's where you get a lot of frustration from coaches and parents is on those, like, not, I'm not gonna say wrongly classified, but like, there's no sort of consideration for classifying teams that are new to sanctions. Right. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, there are definitely issues across uh, how all these different sanctions choose to do their classes. But I think if, if somebody could figure out how to, to, to more accurately classify those brand new teams, that would probably fix a lot of the problems and the issues that you're, that we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, for know, sure. That's a, that's a that seems like a very um, difficult task. Um, okay, so yeah, that's it. We talked a lot about the different sanctions or the different classes and how they vary sanction to sanction and and all the some of the, some of the issues that come along with that. But let's look at like introspectively, like if we have a new team or um, you know I've made some changes to my team, how do I know which class to select for that team? So. I'm going to, I mean, I'm always going to recommend you guys start C class and then work your way up. Um, it's, it's still softball. There is still a ton to be learned, especially your younger age group C, I mean, 6U, 8U, 10U, 12U, um, starting with C class. So especially if you are coming out of all stars or if you are a first year or newly formed team, absolutely start with C class. And it's okay to even look for tournaments that are, um, that are kind of classified as all-star slash C-class. Those are, those, those are two very similar like levels of teams. Um, and then let, let, like when it's time to switch to a different class one, like, like we said, a lot of times the sanction may do it for you. They may say, Hey, you've, you've won more games than you lost. You are now a B team. So keeping an eye on your, um, your kind of profile within that sanction and where you are and and making yourself familiar with the sanction rules. Hey, what is what does it take to get classified to the next team? Or uh, or maybe I'm not quite ready for A or B class. What do I need to do to keep from getting classified in that? And maybe that means going and maybe you play less of that sanction and more of another. Or maybe that means you go enter your team in some, some pretty stout um, tournaments that you know that they're going to ha- be challenged with. Um, I'm a firm believer in like rising to the occasion, but with that being said, I don't ever want to see like these players being like absolutely blown out or deflated or shattering their confidence, especially when they're like on the right track and growing and developing and, and having fun. So, um, I would say if you're dominating and like winning, winning almost like a lot of your games or winning by a lot, then you need to consider like either moving up in class or if you're a second year team, maybe you you play up uh, in a tournament or two to see how you would stack up against some some harder competition. 
Um, or you just get really, really specific and picky on the tournaments that you sign up for. Um, Heather, I know you touched on that a little bit, but, um, like doing your research as a coach to know what teams are entered, what their win loss percentage is, what tournaments and teams they've played against so that you can kind of have an idea of if that tournament is going to be a good fit for your team goals, whether it's, um, development, whether it's like collecting all the rings, whether it's a little bit of both, um, the more research and the more prepared you can be in terms of knowing what to expect from that tournament, um, the better, like the better it's going to go first off, but the more that your team can continue to grow and like kind of find success based on those team goals. Right. And it's, it can get really overwhelming when you think about, well, you know, not only do I have to determine what class my team is, but now I have to think about the sanction and I got to think about the the other teams that are, that are registered for each tournament. Um, It can get really overwhelming. And if you, you know, if you're like most volunteer uh, parent coaches, you don't, you you know, you have a, you have a full-time job and it's like, this is a full-time job just to find tournaments. So um, one of the, one of the kind of cheat codes I like to use is as you're out at these tournaments, um, that you're playing in, you know, you kind of, you, you, you pay attention to who you're playing and who's there and, and you kind of um, make judgment calls on like the, the, the caliber of the other teams that are there, you know, play, you play one team, you're like, oh, that team was, you know, kind of low level. I didn't really like the way the coaches interacted with the kids and, and so on. And then, but then you face other teams or see other teams that, man, they are so well coached and they are polished and they, you know, it's like a, they're more of a team that you might want to emulate or or get to be um, at their level at some at some point. So the cheat code I kind of use is to watch those teams that you want to be more like and see where they're playing um, to where you can see more teams of that caliber caliber or that, um, you know, the polish, how polished they are or what level they are, the skill level they're at and, and try to, you know, gravitate towards those kinds of tournaments. Um, that's kind of a, a, an easier way if you don't have the t- all the time in the world to go do all this research you know, yourself and get really detailed in it, that can be a good way to to find those tournaments that are a better fit for your team that match your goals. That is a great ad. And that's and it that's an, a very easy thing to do. Like, for example, like there were certain teams that we loved playing. Like they were good competition, but we weren't like outmatched. It was never a blowout. It was just always a good game, good coaches, good parents we would like basically select our tournaments based on who was in them. If we knew like, regardless of the outcome of the tournament, if we were going to be challenged and, and have fun and have good games, we chose a lot of our tournaments based on that. Um, So I, I, I can completely agree with that. And then Heather, you made a comment too about like being volunteer coaches and the amount of time it takes on. I will also tell you, like, I was not that coach that enjoyed picking out tournaments or, looking at all the tournaments and options, I was very easily overwhelmed. But um, Heather, I think you can agree with this. We were very blessed to have Mike who actually enjoys all of that, like data and tracking and tournaments and this and that and spreadsheets. And I mean, I know you're, you and I are both spreadsheet people, but like Mike takes it to a whole nother level. So we were blessed to be able to have him as a coach and helping to do that. So if you have maybe an assistant coach or even a parent that's knowledgeable and is available or offering to help with things like that, or maybe they do enjoy it. I don't think it's a bad idea to try and get some help there either. That way you can focus on like practices and and the girls. 
Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, Mike, that Mike really super enjoys doing that stuff. So, you know, he, you could always count on him to have the rundown of of all the teams that are registered and all our different options. And, you know, just anything you might want to know, he was he was ready to either he already had it for you or he was ready to go get it for you. So um, that, that that was is super helpful. And if you have somebody that that can do that for you, if you don't have the time or you just it gets too overwhelming, um, that would be a, a really good uh, way to get that information. Just be careful when you're looking through, you know, it can be easy to look through like Game Changer and get records and stuff. Um, just be careful looking at just records because someone could have a really awesome record, but they're playing, you know, they could be like an A-level team playing only C-level uh, other teams. So um, that that record wouldn't necessarily be very representative of the team. So just make sure that that's kind of goes along with those teams that you see out at tournaments and which ones you, you know, you enjoy playing, which ones you think less of, you know, just, it just kind of goes along with the um, integrity of those teams. So just be aware of, of those things that could be, that could influence those different um, numbers and stats and things like that. Um, but definitely do some research. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's see. Um, so, we talked a little bit about how the, the classification systems are, are flawed. Um, what can we do, if anything, as, as coaches and, and as, as our teams enter these terms, what can we do to fix these different systems? Do you have any ideas there? Um, I don't in particular. I know that there are instances where you can like email a tournament director and say, hey, like um, we uh, like we've played this team, they are absolutely not a C-class team. Like, is there anything that can be done or you, it, it's not a bad idea if you are a brand new team and you're nervous, or maybe you want to play in a, um, in an A-class tournament. Maybe you can even email the tournament director and say, Hey, like we're entered in the tournament. Um, we're looking forward to being challenged in some competition, but I also don't want my girls to feel like they're absolutely obliterated. Is there any way that you can, um, match us up with maybe some other B or C class teams for our pool games at the bare minimum. That way they're still competitive. The girls are still learning, hanging in there. And it's not like an absolute blowout if that's what you're worried about. Um, I don't ever think it's a bad idea to reach out to the tournament director and just say, Hey, here's where we're at. Here are my concerns. Is there anything you can do to help? Um, not saying they will. Some tournaments are, are better and easier to work with than others, but it never hurts to ask. Right. Um, that's a good, good point. Um, you know, if the tournament director doesn't know, um, that you would like to, to have those considerations, then they cannot help you. So it doesn't hurt to ask. Um, you'll be surprised that some tournament directors really are open to helping you in those situations. Absolutely. And that's something too, where, um, I will tell you in our area, like Friday night games, some people love them. Some people hate them. Houston traffic is horrendous, but that's something too, where you can say, Hey, I will play Friday night games. If maybe you can help us out, like on our bracket, maybe we can line up against an easier draw or, or something like that. Cause tournament directors, like they've got a, like the more flexible you can be in helping them to like line up the tournament, the more willing and, and easier it'll be to work with them. And then you can kind of just, I mean, everybody wins in that scenario. Yeah. 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 And, and like, we're talking with fixing the classification systems. It's like, there's no easy fix. I think that the only thing that I can think of that even would make any kind of difference is just being really, really careful in which tournaments you sign up for. Um, you know, if, if you have, you know, in your area that whatever sanction has a history of letting whoever sign up for any classification. So yet you've got ridiculously talented teams playing C-class, just collecting rings. 
Um, if you know a certain sanctions has a history of doing that, then let's just not sign up for those tournaments. I know it's not as it's a little easier said than done in some areas. You know, in in the Houston area, we're blessed with having lots and lots and lots of options when it comes to tournaments. Just about every weekend, um, not everybody has those options, so you're going to be a little bit tied. But if at all possible, um, you know, don't sign up for those tournaments that allow teams to do that. So choose your t- tournaments as carefully as you can. You know, um, what are some things that we should look for when we're choosing our tournaments like i know we we talked a little bit about this before about looking at the other teams but um you know one of the things that we like to consider a lot when we sign up for our tournaments is what does our team need right now you know do we need a confidence booster do we need to be challenged do we need a reality check do we need somebody to knock us down off our pedestal you know what are some of those kind of things that you're thinking about yeah no again just always keeping team goals in mind um I will tell you too, another challenge that comes up when choosing tournaments is um, tournaments actually making or not. So a lot of times you'll have maybe like we talked about them combining classes for like open and see if there's a tournament that maybe only has three or four teams signed up. I would encourage you to sign up for another tournament just in case, um, in case that one doesn't make, or if you just, if you want to play that weekend, you want to make sure you have somewhere to play before it's too late. But in that same breath, you also will have teams that will sign up like for three or four tournaments. And then like two days before you're supposed to play, they'll drop, which a lot of times creates a problem because then you have like maybe it's a an open class tournament, but you have like three or four of your C teams drop and then it basically becomes an A class tournament. So if you're a C class team and an open class tournament where all the other B or C teams drop, you got to be mindful that you're going to be up against all A-class teams. So um, I think it's always a good idea to have like a backup tournament just in case, especially if it looks like it could be like inclement weather. Um, We do not have that many turf options around here. So um, uh, signing up for a couple tournaments is always a good idea. But I, I, I always hate being that coach that like drops out because then I feel bad. Like I just generally, I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I feel bad. So if you're going to do that, make sure you don't wait to the last minute. Just be mindful and considerate of the tournament director and the other teams that are in that tournament. Um, and then I would say, too, like, and this is just an idea, but if you're in between classes, right? So maybe you're a C class or a B class team, but you want to get, you want to see more competition, but you don't necessarily want to go like, um, two and barbecue, right? So maybe you, maybe you sign up, like you schedule some scrimmages or you host some scrimmages and say, Hey, like, well, you invite some of those A or B class teams out to scrimmage you in a controlled environment where, okay, you're getting that competition, but you're still being able to coach and teach and kind of like control the pace of the game and use those as examples so that everyone feels like they're learning. And it's not just like a complete blowout or like, or, or deflated for your players. No, that's a, a great idea. I'm a, a big proponent of the the scrimmages when you can find quality teams that are willing to kind of even slow down the game at times to, so that you can have some of those teaching moment, moments. Um, there's nothing like learning in a real game. So in getting those real game situations, and it's just really, really hard to replicate in practice. So if you can find another team in your area that um, you know, is, is high quality and ha- is coached well, and it would be uh, a good fit for a scrimmage like that, then absolutely reach out to them. And another thing uh, along those sort of uh, same lines is maybe just host a little round robin, get another two or three teams that 
that are going to challenge you, maybe, maybe not, you know, the highest competition in your area, but the teams that are just a little bit out of your reach um, and see if you can can get a couple of them to come by, you know, one weekend schedule around Robin and everybody just plays everybody and gets a lot of really good experience. Yeah. So um, going back, because I was so excited to talk about this, mainly because we had somebody that wrote in and wanted us to cover this topic. I'm actually going to quote him because there are so many times where I have felt this exact same way when watching our girls play. But he asked about classifying and for context, they're a second year team. But um, he said that sometimes they look very polished defensively, but then there are times when he's looking at them during a game and he's like, who are you and how did you forget to play? Um, And if they play to their potential and what you consistently see in them practice, then they could be a B team. But the translation of that to games is still like a work in progress. And um, I think that the best way to kind of address that is those controlled scrimmages and round robins. And um, I, I have always been a firm believer in taking notes like throughout the weekend that you're having tournaments. And then that next week at practice, um, you practice the, the things that you need to work on that you saw from the weekend. So making sure that your practices are constructive and immediately addressing the areas of concern, whether it's throwing the ball around or missing bunts or certain situational things that just aren't clicking in game. Um, one, especially at 10U, like these girls are very much like still figuring out how to play softball. Um, but more than anything, like they're building their confidence. And when the confidence clicks, that's when the plays will start clicking more consistently. So the more you can replicate that, whether it be like um, fast paced drills or anything like that during a game, the 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 faster you're going to see growth from them and the faster you could potentially jump up to that next class if that's what your team goal is. Yeah, I think you're right on there. I, I also like to, to, to kind of take notes and, and work on those things that next week at practice. Um, two, two other things that really jump out at me when I think about, um, you know, getting your team up to that next level um, is, is one simple softball. Almost all the time when you're having one of those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, how do we not know how to play softball? It's because we're throwing the ball around or just not executing those really simple things, you know, the catching, the throwing, the routine ground balls, the pop-ups, the things that should be simple, um, we're not executing well. So going back to the simple softball, always driving that home uh, should be a part of every practice. And then like you mentioned before is, is, is building confidence. Um, the only way they're really going to start to really um, bloom that confidence is having permission and space to fail. So um, doing that at practice, making it okay to go all out for a play and and miss that play and make a mistake and totally screw it up. Um, that's the, that's the best place to start where, um, building that confidence is having that space to fail so that the kids can learn what their limits are in practice where it's not going to impact the outcome of the game. So that's a really, really huge part of building confidence is, is giving them permission and space to fail. Yeah. And then I think I'm going to add on to do that, celebrating their efforts, right? Regardless of the result of the play, if you've got a girl that's like busting her butt or diving or sliding or going after a ball, regardless of if she even touches the ball or gets it, like celebrating the effort that she puts to make that play, because then she's going to be like, oh, okay, that was a good thing. I can do it again. I can do it again. Um, I think especially for young girls, like that's the the way our mind works is not only that permission to fail, but like that encouragement and support when we do like put that extra effort into it. 
Right. I mean, I think for these these girls that are, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, it's really scary to, I mean, not only like the physical dive, if they haven't done it much, yeah, that's, it can be scary. But more than that, I think for that age, especially is that, is they're thinking, you know, what if I dive and I miss it? What if I dive and I look stupid? What if I dive and they laugh at me? You know, if those are the things that are really holding them back. So if we can get them past those, those, the, them questioning themselves on those types of things, that's going to do so much for their confidence and which will in turn, you know, do so much for their level of play. Yeah. So getting them to that next level, like in addition to the simple softball, um, I also would encourage you guys to do like fast paced um, competitive drills to try to emulate that, that feeling that they get during a game. Right. Um, so whether they're time drills, whether they're, their goals where you've got to um, play catch without dropping the ball or an overthrow, whatever it is that your team is struggling with in game. It's not, I'm not, I'm not saying to go just do that one thing monotonously, like practice after practice, but do drills that simulate that experience that they're struggling with to where it is a competition and they, they are put in a situation where maybe they're a little bit nervous or they're under the gun um, because that's the best way to emulate that feeling that they have during the game. Right. It can be so difficult to to recreate the the in-game feeling. So anything you can do at practice to uh, kind of even up their nerves, um, that's that's what we're trying to get so that they can work through those in practice rather than only doing that in the game. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm going to botch this quote because I, I don't exactly remember how it goes, but it was something along the lines are like practices are hard. So the games are easy. So all of the the thinking and the effort and the figuring things out that goes in like during practice, that's where they learn, they grow, um, they get uncomfortable. So they see like incremental growth there, but all of that comes out at practice so that in the game, like it just happens. They just do it. There's no thinking. It is just like, Hey, this, I know I can do this, so I'm going to do it. And it's really as simple as that. So if you have a team that's kind of in between that level or they're like, like I said, um, you like, it looks like they've never picked up a softball before. Um, that's stuff that you can just work on during practice and recreating that feeling for them. But also like in that same breath, those days are going to happen. Like softball is like ups and downs and it is a roller coaster ride. So just know that there are going to be games where like you just, you just got to kind of sit there and watch it and tell the girls you love them and give them a hug and a high five. And then be like, okay, can we please forget that game happened and reset and go on to the next one? And it may even be a weekend. You may have an off weekend. You may have two or three games before they kind of get in their groove. Um, so just know that you're not always going to have the same team that shows up. So your expectations, you got to have a little bit of leniency with them there, knowing that you can't expect perfection or, or full focus or like absolute results every single time. Yeah, no, that's a, a really great point because we're all, we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all have bad days. And, um, I think this is a, another opportunity for me to drop my know your players, um, know your players and know your team, know how they react to, to certain situations. You know, if they get in a high pressure situation, what's their go to? How do they get to play loose? Um, is it the is it the music? Is it the crazy cheers? Is it doing dances? It, like, how do they get playing, get to where they can play loose? Because um, I think we if you if you spend any time on the field, you, you understand that. 
um, you know, playing tense and scared and uh, timid is is not the recipe for success. You need to be loose and confident and just ready to let it all show on the field. And like Jess was saying about practicing hard and, um, you know, making practices harder so games can be easier. Games should be the time where you're just out there letting loose, showing, uh, you know, showing off all that hard work you've put in. So it should be the time where, you know, you're not thinking as much. Um, you should be looser. Um, it should be more, more about fun and less about the the hard work and the grind that you're going to see in practice. So um, those are all some, some pretty good ways to to help you get your team up to that next level, that next class, if you will. Um, do you have any more uh, overarching comments on classifying your select team? Yeah. So this, the majority of this discussion, this is going to be aimed at probably your younger division, 6U, 8U, 10U, 12U, maybe some like entry level, um, maybe just out of little league, um, 14U teams. Um, and we're talking about classifying for like FASA, the, these sanctions. So FASA, USFA, USA, um, Heather, are there any more you can think of specific uh, to sure like youth? NSA, uh, there's a few more. And then, and then we've also found, um, that we're looking at more different like uh, organizations that just host tournaments. They don't classify. Um, so those would be like your coward sports events, your big bang, your things like that. Um, so there's a lot of different options, but yes, those are all uh, youth centered. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I was getting at is like your coward sports, your Alliance events, TFL, those sort of events, those are going to be for like specifically like your A class team. They're going to be more competitive. Um, they're going to be more expensive. Um, those have different like setups and kind of goals in mind. So just know if you are a select team that's that's either younger or newer to the game, you're going to be wanting to look at FASA, USFA, USA, NSA. And then if you've been the, around the game a lot um, and you or if you are a polished team, Again, Cowart, TFL, Alliance. And those are going to be more of your older girls because um, those tend to start getting into like some exposure and some recruiting events. So um, those specific tournaments are going to be like your 14U and up. Some some 12U events um, for your really competitive 12U teams. That's that's a good option. But most of them are going to be for your 14U and up. Yeah, so I think I think for me, if I when I'm when I think about classifying our select teams, I think um, I don't know. It used to be more of a, a, a priority to have a, a, a you know an appropriate label, but but the more we get into it and the deeper we get, the the more I kind of forget about the classification. Just look at the the tournaments, uh, the sanctions, and how they run things, and the quality of each individual tournament. That's how. I think we have kind of leaned towards selecting our tournaments and, and placing our girls in situations where they can succeed or, you know, sometimes they just need, you know, if they've been on a run where they're just absolutely tearing teams down, um, uh, you know, they need a more, a bigger challenge. So you're, you'll be looking for that particular thing, but um, you know, going tournament to tournament and, and thinking less about, you know, what label we have at, at any given time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, that's all I can think of. I'm sure there are a billion other things that we can talk about. So if you guys have any specific questions or anything that kind of comes to mind or stems from this conversation, please, please write us in. Um, and thank you for writing in about this particular topic. I hope that this helps a lot of people. Um, I know it's definitely a tricky one, but 
Um, we gave it our best go. Um, and we are happy to answer any questions you have. So for today, this is um, episode 90, Classifying Select Teams. And we will be back uh, in the next few days talking about um, more good stuff. I think we're going to get into some culture talks and, um, yeah, just see what comes up from there. So you guys enjoy the rest of your day, and we will be back again soon. Thanks.